Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome back. If you're new with us, welcome for the first time. Uh, this morning, we're going to start a new series called Reconstruct. And we've been, uh, we just finished up a series called Re-Envision. But before we go into this whole series of Reconstruct, I, I find it necessary to just share with you how God is reconstructing this place, how God is reconstructing this church. And so there's a couple people I want to stand up, and we're going to do this for the next Sunday or two. Uh, but I want to share with you and just uh, let you know who the new members of our church are. And so I'm not going to embarrass anyone to come up front, but I am going to have you stand up. And so this morning, I'm just going to have two people stand up. So Robbie and Jesus, we just stand up? I want people to look at you. Can we just celebrate them real quick? Amen, amen. There you go. You guys know. Once everyone's done clapping, you sit down. That's what happens. That's what happens. So I want to celebrate that with you because the Lord is doing something incredible in our church. And he's bringing in new people and, and you could say new soldiers, new partners in ministry to this place. And whenever you come on Sunday morning, I think you're participating in God's handiwork in your life and in the life of this place and this church. And when I think about Jesus and Robbie, and there's others I'll introduce to you, I keep on thinking of what we're going to look at in Nehemiah and what we'll study once we look at Nehemiah, when Nehemiah practically says at the very end of chapter, of chapter 2, where he says, we need all hands on deck. We need all hands on deck. In Spanish, it says, manos a la obra, because we need all people to use all of their gifts and all of their talents for the Lord and for his ministry. And so you being here this morning, us celebrating Jesus and Robbie as these new members of our church is evidence of what the Lord is doing in this place. It's evidence of the work that God is doing in, in their own hearts. And I just love it because we get to be part of a family of faith that is bilingual but is also so diverse in talents and in, and in ways that we can serve. So I think that us, we can make a huge impact in this community when we come together united as one family saying, okay, all hands on deck. Let's do this. Let's go together. Let's see what can happen. And that's what we're going to see in Nehemiah. And so I just want to make sure I celebrate it with you guys because that's just a reality that I see in our church that uh, we can have this impact inside the walls and also outside the walls. And so as we begin this message in this sermon, I just have a question for you. And it's kind of a hard question, but I know that you can take it. And so here's a hard question. Do you feel like your life is falling apart? Do you feel like your life is falling apart? I know that's a piercing question and a hard question, and, and I know that that's maybe a question you don't ask a lot of people, but I think it's important for us to ask those kind of questions. It's important for us to be real and to share these hard things about our life because I think many of us are aware that we desperately, desperately need the Lord. We desperately need God to reconstruct aspects of our life. And so as we look at this whole sermon series of reconstruct, we're going to see a God-inspired reconstruction begins with God. A God-inspired reconstruction does not begin with a prayer of, God, I need to. And it begins with a prayer of saying, God, you need to. Because everything feels like it's falling apart. My life feels like it's falling apart or has fallen apart. And so I just want to make sure that as we go throughout this whole series, that's something that's in our minds. Because this morning, the title for us, the, the title of this message is, is Reconstruct How You Pray. Or in other words, Reconstruct How We Pray. Reconstruct How We Pray. 
And so last week we finished the book of Ezra, uh, which was so fun, and the title of that sermon series was Re-Envision. And we got to see how the people of Israel had to re-envision and even redefine who they worshipped, how they worshipped, and where they worshipped. Because the entire book of Ezra is centered around the building of the temple. Because once they built the temple, that was the center of everything, the center of their worship, and that's where the Lord was for them. And so we had to see their entire journey of how they had to re-envision all of that. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that the, the people of Israel had to first re-envision that because they had to realign their hearts to what was foundational, which was the worship of God. Because once they were able to establish their worship, now in Nehemiah we see they get, to, they get to establish the walls. So establish the worship, and now we see the establishment of the walls. And you can see, once we begin to read, you'll be able to see that in Nehemiah's life and even in the people of Israel, things did seem like they were falling apart. Things did seem like they were going for the worse and everything was super terrible. And so I want us to keep that question in mind because that's what we see here. And, and then here's another question I want you to keep in your mind as we go through this entire series. As we see the Lord reconstruct different aspects of Israel's life, including the wall, what is an aspect of your life that you need God to reconstruct? What is an aspect of your life that you need God to reconstruct? That's a good question for us as we go through this whole series. So let's go ahead and start in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. And if you don't know where Nehemiah is, it's okay. You can go to the table of contents. Or if you're already used to going to Ezra, go to Ezra, flip a couple pages, you'll be in Nehemiah. And so as you go to Nehemiah chapter 1, I just want to make sure our focus is in the right place. So at the end of Ezra, our focus was in Jerusalem. Our focus was in this place where all the Israelites were. But right now, as we begin to read Nehemiah chapter 1, we need to focus over here to the kingdom of Persia, kind of in this Babylon area. And if you remember, it's kind of like a a journey of several days. So we're going to turn our eyes away from Jerusalem just for a little bit and then go back to the kingdom of Persia. And so once you're there in Nehemiah chapter 1, let's go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read this this whole chapter together. So starting in verse 1, it says this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, so this is Nehemiah's prayer, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, 
If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, of this your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. In chapter 1, we, we see this, this prayer of Nehemiah, and then in chapter 2, just for a little bit, we'll see what Nehemiah did to follow up on this prayer. And so we've seen the title of the message today, but here's the main idea I want you to write down. Reconstruction begins with God. Reconstruction begins with God. Even as you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, <laughs> reconstruction did not start with Nehemiah. It started with God himself. And so we're going to observe these two features that will help us understand what I mean by reconstruct how you pray. And so here's the first feature that we see in just chapter 1 is this. Prayer and confession. Prayer and confession. And so I want you to underline verse 6 if you have a pen. Just underline verse 6, and we're going to go back to verse 6 here in just a minute. But that right there is just the pinnacle of what we see as prayer and confession. So right here in Nehemiah, we're introduced to, to Nehemiah for the very first time. We're introduced to him, and, and what I want you to see is, is it was the month of Kislev. Now most scholars, you can write this down, most scholars think that this is around the month of November. So around the month of November is when Nehemiah says this was happening. And then also, if you read down all the way down the prayer, at the very end it says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Now I think this is vital for us to understand why Nehemiah put that in there. You see, it could seem as a, oh, hey, by the way, I was a cupbearer to the king. You could see it that way. But the way I see it, the way that we can see it in this text is Nehemiah saying, no, no seriously, I was a cupbearer to the king. Like, like this Israelite little guy is the cupbearer to the Persian king. Like, seriously, like, hear me out here. And that's what we see him saying. He's like, no, seriously, for reals. And as we think of what a cupbearer is in that time, the king's time, the cupbearer was a very important yet very dangerous job. Okay, because the cupbearer was a highly ranked position with a, with a high duty. It, it was a position that was a highly trusted duty, you could say. And so what did the cupbearer do? Well, you know, I know, I know maybe some technology might have happened in those days where, where Nehemiah, you know, he, he, would, he would get all these drinks for the king, and he would get the drink, and then he'd, you know, take it to the king. And, and maybe Nehemiah had some technology where he could, like, dip it in the drink and then say, oh, you know, it's poisonous or it's not poisonous. And if it's not, well, here you go, king. But I think Nehemiah was a guy who liked to go old school. And so what he would do is he'd probably go a little old school, grab the cup, and then he'd, he would drink it and wait for a little bit. And if he didn't die, he'd give it to the king. That's probably what he did. Or if he didn't get sick, he'd give it to the king. And so that was Nehemiah's job, where he worked extremely close with the king. Like the king knew if he got a haircut or not. That's how close he worked with him. So here's this cupbearer that gave the king every single drink, every single food to make sure that he didn't get sick. Um, one, one person told me, one friend told me, he's like, hey, you know, Nehemiah was like the security system for the king's stomach. And I was like, okay, that's really odd to think about, but sure, fine. 
And so that's what we see Nehemiah doing. And, and just in this moment, I just want you to process what Nehemiah was doing in his job. Because as we process just that little aspect of Nehemiah being the cupbearer to the king and how highly the king had to trust that cupbearer, I think for us as, as believers, if we think about that, we have to think about Nehemiah and even our own lives, how in that moment Nehemiah was building trust with that king. Nehemiah had built that trust with that king. And so when I think about us, when I think about our employers and how we're employees and our friends and our family, we are to live in such a way that we do build trust with people. You see, because when we build trust, we build relationships. When we build relationships, we open the door to gospel conversations. We open the door to gospel invitations. And so that's what we see in, in Nehemiah. And then the next thing I want you to just notice just from that little part is that that moment that Nehemiah was building trust, that moment was really training for a future moment. You see, Nehemiah didn't know that God was going to use him as this prophet and this teacher and even the governor of Jerusalem. He didn't know that. He just knew, man, I just got to build trust with this guy. He didn't know that, he had a, that one day he was going to have to build trust with Israel to say, okay, let's rally together and let's build this wall of Jerusalem together. You see, and so I think just in this little moment, it leads us to believe that we should be people. That every moment is training for a future moment, but we should build trust in this moment. And so as we continue to look, we see that Nehemiah was visited by his brother named Hanani, which is kind of funny because my little brother, his name is Abdiel, but we call him Menani. And so I was like, I wonder if my parents got that from, from this little part. But as we look at Nehemiah's brother, he, he comes home and, and he's like, all right, man, what's up, bro? He's like, all right, man, what's up? And Nehemiah is asking, okay, tell me about the people that left here. Tell me about Jerusalem. And Hanani is like, well, the people are in disgrace it's really bad, and Jerusalem is all destroyed. The gates are burned down. Um, the walls are broken down. They're burned down. It's just a mess. And what does Nehemiah do? Man, Nehemiah's reaction tells us so much. And so I want you to look at verse 4. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here we see that Nehemiah, instead of, instead of saying, Man, I, I could have done better. Man, if I would have gone with them, I, I could have been someone that helped them out and maybe it wouldn't be in ruins. Instead of complaining and instead of just talking bad about all the people that went, he mourned and he prayed. And specifically, he was someone who went into prayer and confession. Prayer and confession. You see, Nehemiah's reaction shows us that reconstruction begins with God. Because he didn't say, man, if only I would have been there. No, he, he gets on his knees and he, and he wept and he prayed and he mourned. And he said, Lord, nothing will change unless you show up. And I can only imagine Nehemiah feeling, man, everything again just feels like it's falling apart. Everything again just seems like nothing is going our way. And I, can, I just want you to feel the weight of Nehemiah where he just for days he prayed and he fasted and he cried out to the Lord. And I just find this prayer interesting, and we're going to look at it. But I find it interesting because Nehemiah didn't say, God, you need to fix it. And this is how you fix it. Yeah, like God needs to know from you how to fix it. Like he's God. He doesn't need your help to know how to fix a situation. And so we don't see Nehemiah doing that. He, we see Nehemiah going straight to the Lord. Straight to the Lord saying, Lord, you are merciful, you are kind, you've been so good. Will you just remember us? 
that you just remember us. So I want you to think in just your life real quick. I just want to make this personal really fast. I want you to think about maybe a moment in your life where you got some news that was detrimental and news that was terrible. Maybe you got a phone call that you said, wow, because of that phone call, it feels like my life is falling apart. Maybe you got terrible news of of friends and family or just a relationship in your life. And I want you to think, what was your reaction in that moment? What was your reaction when you got that news or that phone call? Was your reaction prayer and confession like Nehemiah? Because I'll be honest, if I think about my life, there have been moments where I have received news, like really bad news, and my reaction was not prayer and confession. My reaction was to get mad. My reaction was to get sad, to get frustrated, and say, Lord, you got to fix it, and this is what you have to do, A, B, and C. Yeah, like God needs to know that from me. So my reaction was not prayer and confession. But I just wonder what it would be like for us if we did reconstruct how we prayed. If we did say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take a moment and and I'm going to pray to you knowing that it's only if you show up that everything will be okay. It is only you showing up that will actually reconstruct maybe my heart, the situation, what's going on. And so I want to just highlight some things in Nehemiah's prayer. So I want you to look at verse 5 with me. This is the beginning of his prayer. Verse 5, it says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So here we see that that what Nehemiah was doing is he had this prayer of adoration, this prayer of adoration, this prayer that said, Lord, you are almighty. I acknowledge you as almighty, and I praise you. So he had this prayer of adoration. And the next thing that we see, starting in verse 6, which is 6b, he says, I confess, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. So we see this prayer of adoration, and then we see this prayer of confession. And this is why I had you highlight verse 6, because we see this prayer and confession from Nehemiah. And the next thing I just want to highlight for you, starting in verse 8, is this prayer of expectation. This prayer of expectation. Starting in verse 8, it says, Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. And then verse 9, But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And then verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So we see Nehemiah's prayer of adoration, of confession, and also expectation. And so I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you have got some news, but I do want to share a little story with you. 
So it's almost Christmas time, and I know we just started in October, but I know some of you are already putting your Christmas lights up, okay? So I'm not going to call you out, but I know some of you are out there. And because it's almost Christmas, I just want to just transport you back to last Christmas, because last Christmas for me and my family was a little crazy, I'm not going to lie. And so I want to just paint a picture for you, and I'm not going to show you the picture yet, so let's not show that yet. But imagine just my family, we're in this house, we're hanging out, we're having pozole, which is this amazing Mexican soup, which you should try if you haven't tried it yet. We're having pozole, we're having all these things, we have buñuelos, which is another little pastry, which I love, and there's music, and the family's gathered around, and it was the very first Christmas of my little baby cousin named Rafael, and it was just amazing, and you know, everyone's like, Rafael, oh, he's like this big, and, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're playing games, we're doing stuff, and all of a sudden, I just hear all this coughing. Just cough, 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 cough. And I was like, what? It didn't sound like an adult, but it was a baby cough. And I look back, and it was, it was my, my little cousin, Rafael, just pale-faced. And my aunt was just, like, trying to get something out of his mouth. And he was just, like, kind of, like, doing one of those things. And before I knew it, 911 was called. The ambulance was there. And then there's this gurney that was brought out. And I'm going to show you this picture, and you can laugh. That's okay, because he's fine. But let me show you this picture real quick. This is the picture I took of little Rafael. Suspense, the suspense. What if I do this? Yeah. Maybe if I do this one. That's okay. Well, when you get it up, just let me know. Just let me know, because it's, I don't want to tell you what it is. I don't want to tell you what it is. Okay, so I'm just, just keep that picture in your mind, okay? So when it pops up, I'll talk about it. If not, we're going to keep going. Oh, okay, look at him. Isn't that the most funny yet sad picture you've ever seen in your life? So that's my little baby, Rafael, in the gurney. I was like, so I was like, I'll use that sometime. And this was him. And so my aunt and my whole family were just like, this is the worst Christmas ever. Like, look at that guy. He's just the worst. He's just like, help me, please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just laugh about it now because it's just so funny. Um, and so in that moment, so my aunt's with me, and she's like, and it's COVID time still, so we get, can't even go to the hospital. And so my aunt's like, man, my life's falling apart. This is just the worst. And so this whole situation sucked the life out of Christmas. Like Christmas was over. Er, don't open the presents. It's over. And so I just remember sitting there uh, with my family, and I said, guys, let, let's just pray. Let's pray. Like I know it sounds silly, and I know I'm the pastor of the family, whatever, but let's just pray. And so I start praying, and I, and I remember getting on my knees, and I said, okay, I was like, man, before I even ask God anything, I need to help my family remember who God is. So I begin to say, Lord, you're just almighty, you're merciful, you're all kind, you're all good in every situation. God, you're amazing, and uh, God, you're omnipresent, and, and though because of COVID we can't be there, we know that you're there. So I begin this prayer of adoration. And then I go into just confessing, I'm like, Lord, uh, we confess to you that we're not perfect at all. We're not perfect parents. We're not perfect kids. We're not perfect people. Uh, but God, thank you so much for being so forgiving. And, and then I went into a moment of just uh, this prayer of, of expectation, saying, God, and this prayer of expectation is very scriptural. It's just, it's just, God, like you say that all the kids are yours. And so we know that Rafael is yours. And God, we trust you. We trust you so much. 
And I remember getting done praying and uh, my aunt coming up to me and said, Misael, I needed that. I needed to remember who God was. And I needed to remember I'm not a perfect parent. And I needed to remember that we're not perfect people. But I also needed to remember that the Bible gives us so much trust in the Lord that we can expect him to answer our prayers and, and that we can expect him to move in, in our life. And so uh, after a couple hours, my, my little cousin Rafael came back home, which was fun. But that's, that's kind of what I, what I mean, because there's going to be those moments in our life where everything feels like it's falling apart and our reaction should be this prayer and confession. So the next thing that we see, the second feature that we see, actually comes from chapter 2. And so before I read some things, I just want to give you the point. So our first point was prayer and confession. The second point is this, prayer and preparation. Prayer and preparation. So I'm going to read some things chunk by chunk, and then we'll talk about it. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2. So here it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You see, Nehemiah worked so closely with the king again that he could tell when he got a haircut. And so in this moment, Nehemiah is in front of the king and and the king knows he's not sick, but he's like, dude, you're just so sad. And so I want to point to a detail for you that we'll miss it if we don't talk about it. So if you look at chapter 1, it says, in the month of Kislev, which is about November. And then chapter two, chapter 2 starts with the month of Nisan, which most scholars think that's around the month, of, the, the month of March. And so we can safely assume that there's four months between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's so important for us to recognize that it's four months because for four months, Nehemiah has been praying. For four months, he's been saying, Lord, Lord, hear my cry. Lord, you're incredible. Lord, I'm expecting you to move. But I also think that there's something about these four months that had Nehemiah preparing. And so we're actually going to look at that here in a little bit. But think, think about this. The king could tell that after four months, Nehemiah was still so sad. Still so sad. That four months had, had gone by, but Nehemiah was still just so downcast. He was so sad of the situation back home. And so we're going to look that part of, part of reconstructing how we pray is knowing how to prepare as well. And so I want to keep reading starting in verse 4. We'll go all the way to verse 10. So Nehemiah answers about the gates. They've been destroyed by fire. And in verse 4, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sights, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. 
I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct uh, until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates and the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God, of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat and the Horonite and, the, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Man, in all of this, if you were to just circle how many times the word prayer is used between chapters 1 and 2, you probably see that's used around six times. Around six times, maybe seven times. And so I asked myself the question, do you want to see God move? Do you want to see God move in your life? I'm going to say something so simple yet so powerful. You want to see God move, pray. If you want to see God move, just pray. And this is something that the Lord is working even in my own life of saying, Misael, you can do more in 30 minutes on your knees than you can three hours on your feet. Because when I'm on my feet, though I'm trying my very best to do God's will, though I'm doing my very best to say, okay, God, what does your word say? I'm going to move. It's me. But when I'm on my knees, that's when God is moving. And when I'm on my feet, that's, that's when I'm moving. And so when I look at Nehemiah and, and, and the king is saying, okay, bro, what do you want? What is it you want? Nehemiah, the first thing that he does, his reaction is to pray. And now I don't think Nehemiah got like on his knees and like prayed for 30 minutes and said, okay, king, like give me a second. I'm going to pray, see what God says. But it was one of those prayers, and I think all of us have experienced it. We're just like, man, for that split second, that moment we say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. He might have said, oh, man, bless my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Lord, help me. And so in this moment, he's just praying. And after this quick prayer, I don't want you to miss the type of answer that Nehemiah gave to the king. It was a well-prepared answer with a well-prepared idea, with some well-prepared thoughts, with a well-prepared action plan. He was able to tell the king, okay, king, if it's okay with you, man, send me to Jerusalem. If it's okay with you, I need two letters. I need, I need one letter in order to make sure I have safe passage, and I need a second letter to make sure I can get all this wood and timber for my house and the walls and all the gates. You see, in these four months, Nehemiah didn't just pray. He prepared. And that's why we see this prayer and preparation because when we look at Nehemiah, he prayed in such a way and prepared in such a way that he's like, okay, my, my faith in God is not just going to be stagnant, it'll be active. I'm going to have this active faith in God. And so when we look at this, I just want to make it personal again. And I just want to ask you a question. What is something that maybe we have been praying for that we're not preparing for? What is something that we have been praying for but we are not prepared for? I mean, I want you to think maybe there's someone in your life that you're just praying that God would just make himself known in their life. I mean, you know them personally, and you're saying, Lord, will you please just show up in their life? That'd be incredible. And you're praying that, but my question is, are you prepared 
for when they come to you and you say, hey, will you tell me what this gospel thing is about? Are you prepared to share the gospel with them? Are you prepared to maybe answer the questions that they have? Are you prepared to walk them and say, okay, well, here's what it looks like to be a believer. Are you prepared for God to answer the prayer that you've been praying? And I think that's really important for us to think about. And I know many, many in this room have been praying for our church, maybe for a long time, maybe for a short time. And the thing is, is that I want to be prepared for when God answers those prayers. And he's answering some of them, and, and I'm just saying, Lord, thank you so much. But, but Lord, these, this is the prayer I have, and I want to be ready. I'm going to be ready for when you answer that. So, Lord, yeah, we're going to go to a 930 service. Yeah, Lord, we're, we're going to start a service at 1230 here. Yeah, Lord, we're, we're, going to, we're going to try to build trust with the community in these three different ways. Where we help out uh, on Thursdays with people in our community. When we teach a second language and have our next-gen ministries on Wednesday. When we go and, and infiltrate schools in order for us to share the gospel within their schools and even make a place where we have this arts program where people can know Jesus. Lord, as we do this, Lord, help me prepare well in how we build systems here. Help me prepare our people for, for when something happens. And look, I, I know the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. But, uh, but here's, here's what I believe. It's just like, Lord, man, I don't want to do anything to delay the work of your hand. Lord, I don't, I don't want my unpreparedness to hinder when you will move and how you will move. Lord, may I be someone who is in prayer, yes, but also prepares myself for when you answer. And this is what we see Nehemiah doing right here. And I think this leads us to just our big application for this morning. And here's our big application. We must commit ourselves to Jesus. We must commit ourselves to Jesus. And you, and you might look at that and might say, Misaid, really? That's really simple. You're telling me that that's the application for us this morning is commit to Jesus? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down and say, I will commit to Jesus because I need that reminder and you need that reminder. Because when's the last time that you said, man, I'm going to commit to this weight program. I'm going to commit to this diet. I'm going to commit to get out of this debt. I'm going to commit to stop acting this way. I'm going to commit to stop doing that one thing that I've told myself I'm going to stop for like 10 years. I'm going to commit myself to just be the best version of myself. I mean, how many times have we said that? And what I'd like to say, especially to that last one, is like, man, the last thing that we need is to commit ourselves to being the best version of ourselves. Because without Jesus, you're dead. And... Uh, if you commit to being the best dead version of yourself, guess what? You're still dead. Hate to break it to you, but it's true. You're just still dead. And so we need to commit ourselves to Jesus by placing, yes, our faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord who came down to earth for us and died on the cross for our sins and raised to new life after three days, defeating the grave, defeating death, but the thing is, is that when we commit to Jesus, everything changes. Absolutely everything changes. And we commit ourselves to Jesus. We stop praying, Jesus, I need to change. And you start praying, Jesus, you need to change me. Jesus, you need to help me stop this. Jesus, you need to work in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus because I feel like my life is falling apart. 
because we need to commit to Jesus because why? Reconstruction begins with God. That's where it begins. In our life, in our families, wherever we are. And you might be asking me, said, how, how can I commit to Jesus? How can I commit to him? You know, Nehemiah, we saw him commit to the Lord by fasting and praying and preparing. And I think that is still true with us as well. But I just want to just make it a little bit simple and say, committing to Jesus looks like doing the little things. Just, in relation, just like in relationships, committing to Jesus is doing the little things and trusting the Lord for the big things. And now here's the warning for you. I think you'll take it. Here's the warning. When we say that we will commit to Jesus, that means that we are committing all of us to we are committing all of who we are and all of what we have to Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't just mean, hey, Jesus, you can come to my living room. That means, Jesus, you can come into my kitchen, my bedroom, my closet, my bathroom, my backyard, my front yard, my friend's house, my workplace, my friends, everything. Jesus, I commit to you and, and, and I'm giving it all to you. Have it all. And Lord, you come. And the reason I say that is because though this place is awesome, what makes this place awesome is number one, the Lord, and number two, the people that the Lord has called. And I will first pray for revival in us as a people before I pray revival for this place. Because God calls a holy people, not a holy place. You are a holy people. This is not a holy place. You make this place holy because it is the people that God is making new. It is the people that God is working in. And it has always been God. It's always been God working through committed people to Jesus, to him. It's always been God working through these committed people that he has transformed others. He's transformed places. He's transformed communities. He's transformed countries. He's transformed the world with people who are committed to Jesus and his mission. And so this is my final question, and we're going to pray together. Today, will you commit to Jesus? Will you commit to Jesus?